Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of A Shot of Business Central and a Beer, where we bring you the best of both worlds, Business Central and Beer. Ken and I are your hosts, and today we are very, we have a very special guest joining us, Soren Fries Alexanderson. I hope I said that correctly. If not, Soren can correct me. <laughs> Soren is a seasoned expert in the field of Business Central, has years of experience working with various other Microsoft software has become a champion for women in dynamics and is also a very gifted musician. And while he's mastering, uh, while he's a master at technology, he's also a fan of beer from what we can gather. So everyone grab a cold one. Join us as we dive into the world of Business Central with Soren. It's sure to be a fun and informative conversation. So let's get ready to sit back, relax, and hopefully you all enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome to the podcast, Soren. How are you? Thank you very much, Michael Ken. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. It's our pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We truly appreciate it. So before we dive into about, you know, things about who you are, uh, what you do and all those good things, how about we start off the show by talking about the beer that you chose for us to drink? Um, it is what, how do you say, Trappist Roquefort, I guess? I have no idea how to pronounce it. I actually have no idea how to pronounce it as well. Uh, so, so, so it's Belgian. So that that does require a specific, uh, uh, you know, turning of the tongue to, ah. to be able to sort of pronounce that. But uh, yeah, Trappist Roquefort. I don't know, but but yeah, this one has been a a personal favorite of mine for some years now. Um, I've been traveling sometimes to Belgium with some friends over the last five ten years. Uh, I think I was first introduced to this style of beer, like the heavier style, maybe maybe ten years ago, where I actually didn't like it at all. Like it was just too heavy. But then I was sort of introduced by another friend, you know, to start with, you know, you know, a certain one, and then it grew on me, and then another one, and then suddenly the next thing I know, <laughs> I could just drink it all, and now I could just, you know. <laughs> Some some would probably prefer this kind of beer for the heavier foods like like Christmas kind of you know fat, fat, yeah. fatty foods. Comfort. Some some can just drink it like it is and like I, I guess it depends on your on your on your preferences. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It, it's funny when I was talking with Ken yesterday, I did not realize that it is eleven point or eleven point three percent alcohol. That yeah, that shocked me. <laughs> and you have a long day ahead of you, so you can. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, yeah. So, Michael, I love your priorities and starting with the beer. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Well, well done there. And yeah, we're we're. This is like I did. You know, looking this up, this is like the the champagne of beer here. Uh, they call it the uh, the special, is its nickname. Uh, this is the oh. the heaviest or, or highest uh, alcohol of the uh, Trappist Rockefellers, or yeah, however however we're saying that. Um, but yeah, the uh, the reviews are positive. World Beer Champions in 2004, 2006, um, and just like like every positive adjective you could think of in in beer reviews uh, for this. All um, right. Yeah, an intricate yet unapologetic bouquet of flavors and smells oh, wow yeah. it I says have not tried it or smelled it yet another one says um this is by far one of the world's most amazing beers it aims to make guinness look and feel like a dark tea 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, I think you, what sort of yeah. stuck with me was the whole licorice-ish kind of notes you get from it, and 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 also, I mean, what what yeah. the Belgians have sort of figured out is the way to make sweet, like the whole full and sweet flavor, and and with often very high alcohol, but without it tasting like. I mean, you don't you don't taste that there's eleven percent in this one, right? Like yeah. Where sometimes in some other styles of beers, you can easily taste if it's six percent or even you know five, six, seven percent. Yeah, but they just found that magic formula to make it like refreshing and heavy at the same time. And yeah, yeah it is. And and I hate you know for for all the beer beer nerds listening out there. Well, let's go down kind of the what what is this? So it's a Trappist style uh, beer. This one's called a quadruple. Uh, it's kind of a term they came out a quad. Uh, they refer to it. And and some of the uniquenesses of these Trappist beers is that uh, the first one is that this uses 50% more malt than a typical beer. So I think that gives it some of its strong character. Uh, and also the, the, the Belgian uh, beers, like these Trappist beers, they use 100% fermentable sugar in addition to the malt bill, which is usually Belgian candy sugar. And I think that Ooh. goes to your point. Where, where they said it, it kind of tastes sweet still, has mm. that sweet and the alcohol. And then it says, you cannot brew a Belgian-style beer without Belgian yeast. Um, and this is the most important part because of the flavors uh, that it produces. Maybe that's that, that licorice right. kind of aroma. I definitely get a licorice note to it. Yeah. Soren, do you, do you like black licorice, I'm assuming? Yeah. it's And I think growing up in Denmark, like it's, I don't know where licorice sort of originated, but whenever I speak to foreign people, uh, it, it seems like they know that that there's connection between Denmark and licorice. So I'm I'm assuming we're not far from the source. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, and I don't know anyone uh, like my proximity that that don't like licorice. <laughs> now that I think of it, <laughs> it's just been one of those things. You know, it's yeah. Yeah, li- licorice is very popular, especially in the United States, too. But I, I found that uh, I think red licorice is universally loved in the United States. Now, black licorice, depending on who you're talking to, that's yeah. where some people don't like it. You either love it or you hate it. No, And nobody right. really says, oh, it's just okay. <laughs> right. Do you have, yeah. like, a sweet licorice as well that's also black? In Denmark, we, we, we would refer to it as uh, uh, Finnish, like being from Finland, like Finnish licorice. Oh. No, oh, I don't no. Think so. uh, not that I know of. Oh. Well, if we if if we meet in real life, we we, we should we should we should exchange some some uh, <laughs> some licorice. That comes from uh, the Finnish licorice mines out in the mining fields. There, they mine for licorice out there. I guess, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right along with oh, right. beer. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Hmm. So, all right. Now that we got the beer covered, which was. Probably one of the more important segments, I'd say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So we were looking over uh, your past work experiences and everything, and we noticed that uh, you kind of started on the path of technology through uh, being in IT. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about your journey and how you uh, kind of came to where you're at in Microsoft. Yeah, uh, true. So I started with like 
my first job in IT was back, like our full-time job was back in uh, back in 98. And I was, you know, being hired into an IT department with a company of 500 people, uh, 500 uh, employees doing manufacturing. Um, and we were a handful of people in that IT department. And we were in the, like, in the process of, of, of starting up a new migration project from uh, our ERP at the time was a, like the Danish Concord XAL. I don't know if you've, like it was kind of a predecessor to AX. Um, yeah. And uh, we were migrating that heavily customized uh, solution to a Dynamics or AX at the time, like XAPTA, the old, old version. And um, that project took 98 planning, go live, I think in 2003, like it was just huge, wow. thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of customizations. And to one of your previous points in, in, in one of your episodes was we, we, we took the, let's keep all our customizations approach uh, to, to that project. And it was just huge because it was a different application language to develop. And we developed everything mostly in house. So there was just a lot of stuff. And I was so fortunate to, have a boss that said, you know, even yo, you're a junior, everything, like my first job in IT, right out of school, uh, I could do, like, I was allowed to do anything. So I set up an exchange mail server, I set up some firewalls, I set up a storage area network with, you know, fiber optics. I, and 50% of my time was devoted to everything else, and 50% was sort of ERP development. So I had to learn both the Concord Excel language, and then also learn a few years later the uh, AX language, like the C++. No, it's not, not that. No, so the X++ language. Uh, and then after that, like I'm, I'm staying with this role just for a bit because it was, I was there for seven years and I, I learned much of what I know today based on that. And I think one of the most important skills that I sort of acquired then was being inquisitive in nature, like someone from the warehouse would come up to us in IT and say, hey, could you build us a screen where we could do X, Y, Z? And we would go with that person back to the warehouse, say, oh, tell me more about this and tell me why that's important and tell me why you can't just, uh, you know, put the pallet on the other, on you know, sideways or, you know, scan it here or like that kind of conversation would take place like consultant would do. So learning to be a consultant back already from the you know beginning of my career, I think that was just super valuable. Learning to ask the questions before we even touch the code, you know, touch the code anyway, uh, because maybe there was a way to solve the the issue without touching the code, and that would be ideal for everyone, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that that was sort of the key trait that I that I learned at that point. Um, and then after being there in seven years, you know, that being my, my first job in IT, um, I sort of, you know, through the visits from external consultants that we had, I, I, I began to sort of, you know, look a bit outside the window and say, hey, I wonder what else is out there in terms of, in terms of career opportunities. And, uh, and then I found uh, a local firm in, in, in the city I lived in where uh, they, were, they were looking for someone with with uh, Concord XAL knowledge, like the, the previous system I worked on. And then they also had this uh, system called uh, called an emission. And uh, 
I had no clue other than I knew it was sort of a competitor and it was just, this was in 2005. So it was a couple of years after the Microsoft acquisition. And obviously I've heard about the, uh, the, the product somehow. And especially there was, a cute, there was a confusing period of time there when the product, like the AX product that I worked with was, was actually called Navision Accepta. Uh, so it kind of had both oh. names in it. I think oh. just for a year or so, like the naming back then was just, uh, <laughs> all over the place yeah so there i uh, yeah so that was my first time um, consultant job or consultant developer job because i guess for for many of us in the nav industry back then had the luxury of being able to be you know like 50 percent developer 50 percent consultant because uh it was it was fairly easy, like like the, like the ramp up to do some development wasn't you know it wasn't very hard, right? So you could do, you could do at least some some lightweight development and and but over time I became more like seventy percent developer, thirty percent consultant. Um, hmm. I had that job for uh, about a year, transitioned to to another partner uh, where I did some actually strange strange decision. Now that I look back. I, I decided to leave NAV and go back to AX and with a integration company that did a lot of biz talk back yeah. in the day. So doing C sharp work in Visual Studio, building DLLs that could transform data from A to B in biz talk, where one side would typically be AX and the other side would be whatever system you would have, like EDI. I, I didn't have that job for very long. Uh, maybe I missed NAV. I don't know, but I eventually I, I, I found a partner um, uh, that had a big NAV solution. Uh, so that they're called Trimit. It's a big solution in Denmark for the uh, furniture manufacturing uh, uh, fashion um, industry as well. Uh, with all the things that comes with having variants of you know uh, size and color and all that kind of stuff that was an extra yeah. dimension, like a real extra dimension to everything I knew. Uh, so that, that was super exciting doing some product development work there and also work for specific customers. Uh, then was sort of full-time NAV. So no, no other stuff. Uh, and I decided to sort of leave AX behind, um, which was interesting because there was things that I missed in NAV that AX could do, uh, yeah. like, like the object oriented nature of AX I was missing in NAV. On the other side, NAV was easy because it reminded me of Concord XAL, like the, the previous system. So there's some similarities there in the procedural thinking of how you structure your code and so on. Yeah, I have, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I have, I started in NAV and or Navision in 2001, and uh, no, I didn't, I didn't ever work with Exapta or AX back then. But I came from another company that where we did Unix-based uh, applications, and the first time I, I started using the development object designer development environment, I was like, what? Like it was, yeah. it was unbelievable as a consultant. I'm not a developer to be, to, you know, to, to go in and be able to do the things that I was able to do on site in front of the customer and yeah. immediately show results. Um, it, it was, I, I fell in love. So. Um, you totally, totally get it, and 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 that was the value, right? You could so easily go in and modify a report or something like that, and provide that value for the customers. You say, 
yeah yeah uh and then like so so that's like so so the final stage before then ended up at microsoft was i was at that partner like like the trimit partner um i think also about a year so it wasn't long uh was it 14 months then i i i thought to myself well wouldn't it be fun to try to go solo and and and, and start my own company and uh i thought i could do a bit of ax do a bit of nav and whatever would come along uh i i got wiser i i mean you it was at a time where so much happened so it was 2008 you know just actually just when the financial crisis hit uh, and uh but it was also around the time where uh, microsoft would come out with the the role tailored client like 2009 yeah so so much stuff was happening that i needed to learn so i had to sort of say oh you know what you can't do nav and ax projects you you have to choose because so much stuff i needed to learn and spend my time on so i chose nav and i'm mm -hmm. happy <laughs> no, no i'm happy <laughs> i did that uh yeah. and and i was right there was so much to, to learn and and also and even even after just choosing like technology, I also had to figure out, do I want to be a developer or do I want to be a consultant? Like, because I could sort of choose, like I say choose now, like I had the luxury of choosing. I still struggled with finding customers, of course, like anyone else, like going solo for the first time. But I had to sort of choose what 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 blew my hair back. Like what, what would I, you know, be happy when I got up in the morning? What, what would I want to do? And it's funny because I, I thrive mostly as a developer, like diving in, doing integration work was my, my primary thing, like integrating A to B, whatever it might be. And back then, there was a lot of Navation application server going on, uh, like reading files, saving files, moving files, you know, yeah. little, you know text files all over the place, that kind of thing. I can see Ken nodding here. Well. Old school, Data, old school Data. integrations. Before yeah. My yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I just remember this this old trick of, like, if you had a file that was being written, like, you had two application servers trying to do something on the same file, like, the one who would read it should try to move the file first into another folder and then open it so it wouldn't be written into by the other one. Like, that small tricks you would learn <laughs> in yeah. old school. Right? Uh, which which are all like completely irrelevant now, right? Because technology yeah. has changed so much yeah, that like all those things that you had to consider, um, yeah, absolutely. Are... And I owe a big gratitude to to an old mentor like Michael Nielsen, not the for nav Michael Nielsen, but another not one uh, that that told me all like learn me all about database commits and you know structuring your code right and making sure you weren't left with you know unfinished transactions and all that kind of stuff that that I, I don't personally look at it in anymore. Um, but then, um, so I was self-employed uh, with integration work for seven years almost, I think. And then, for personal reasons, uh, my life took me to to uh, to Copenhagen, where my now wife uh, lived. And um, I, I thought, well, I could I could probably run my business from from Copenhagen instead of the town where I came from. Um, I had one employee at the time, actually. I just hired an employee a year before. Uh, of course, like any other solo, uh, you know, startup kind of, you know, company, it's hard to find, like, how would I find work for that one? I, I think mm. my productivity personally fell probably 80% just trying to find work for him. 
keeping him yeah. busy before myself, right? So, uh, you know, trying to teach him math, he was kind of new, like new yeah. to the business and so on. Yeah. So that was that was hard. And when I chose to move, which obviously didn't work, we lost that kind of daily connection and it didn't work out. So I had to let him go. Coincidentally, uh, and that also been, you know, through some, some personal rough times at that point. So uh, I moved to my wife, uh, to my now wife in September, let my employee go, I think in October, or was it November? And then out of the blue, I had dinner with a friend. He said, you know what, have you, have you thought about being hired into a company again? You know, dropping your solo career. And I said, well, no, I don't. I hadn't really thought of that. But uh, yeah, I don't know why, because Microsoft was obviously like being in the hometown of mm-hmm. of Nat was sort of yeah. like, uh, maybe just couldn't see it. It was just. <laughs> I was going to say, were, were you aware when you moved to Copenhagen that Microsoft had an office there? Or... Yeah. And, and I knew some of the, I knew some of the people, I mean, just, just by reputation, seeing them at conferences and so on. So I, I knew they were there. I knew they had their headquarters in Denmark also, like pr- from a, from a NAP perspective. But for some reason, I just, I was so focused on running my, my business that I didn't see it as an option. But then after having dinner with my friend, I got home and said, you know, let me just check out Microsoft. And, you know, I found their website and uh, saw they had a, a role at the time it was, it was in the, it was in the sales organization. Uh, so not in the uh, engineering organization. They were looking for a, a uh, account technology strategists. So basically you're being hooked on to a, a number of enterprise customers as a technology advisor, having to know about all that Microsoft had to offer, like any anything like across Azure and Office and on a sort of level 100, 200 thing. Uh, having to go advocate that for customers and say, hey, what do you want to do with your business? Based on that, hmm, you should look into these technologies and you can stitch them together roughly like this. like. Not being yeah. an architect, but like business value wise, I was in that job for eighteen months, leaving ERP behind. Uh, you know, thinking I would never go back. Then, <laughs> uh, you know, suddenly I found a job. There was an opening in the in the NAF engineering team, which was on the same floor as where where I was, like physically in the same floor. So I saw some of the people. I recognized them, and one day I just thought, you know, what the hell? I let me just, you know. <laughs> Right, a person I saw there was an opening. Uh, I didn't get that job, but I got another one uh, because then rumor had it, and, and you know, got in contact with my with with my now boss uh, Yannick, uh, and uh, he said, you know what, I'd I'd love to hire you. Let let me check what we can do. And uh, and uh, I had when I started Microsoft, I I I sold my business, and and actually my employee that I had to let go a month before was also hired into this this new business that. You know that took over my um, activities, so everything sort of worked out also for him. So that oh, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that, that that was actually nice. So and then, yeah, I was at Microsoft, and then in the NAF team, you know, early early Madeira days, uh, Ooh, ah, Madeira, Madeira, right? It was just yeah. just around that time, and uh, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Like I was hired into the team, and then. <laughs> I was uh, I was assigned um, a topic that has been kind of a uh, uh, how should I put it like it was kind of a hard topic to land. The topic of regulatory features, 
like uh, you have the 1099 reporting, you have the, you know, Ooh, all that yeah. kind of stuff for all the countries that we localized for. That was my, my first job was to get, you know, try to get that bit more under a process, like defining a process for how do we work with those kind of features? How do we, you know, how can we make sure we get information from authorities up front, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So that was super exciting in itself. Uh, high high risk features in the sense that you know they have to work and yeah. and uh, <laughs> so that was that that was fun. And so I did that for for some years, and then two years ago, no three actually now I think uh, I we decided to focus a bit more again on the what we call onboarding, uh, like customer onboarding, uh, which we can talk about for a long time. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's super exciting in itself. And and about a year ago, uh, so I, I had both the topics, like both regulatory features and onboarding, for a period of time. But obviously, since regulatory features could sometimes just blow up in the sense that some new regulation would come along in a country, you had to drop everything you had in your hands and just go work on a feature because you know in four months right. this new law would take effect, <laughs> and uh, you'd have to build something for uh, customers. Um, it wasn't sustainable to have both like a strategically important topic like onboarding and then also have the regulatory features. So uh, we hired a new guy, a uh, uh, new uh, oldie but goodie in the community, um, Alexander Jodovic, to um, uh, to do the regularization uh, features. Um, so so that's really good. He's, he's doing a great job on that. So I, I could focus on the onboarding stuff. Great. Well, before we jump into the onboarding, I, I just got a quick question. When you started working with Project Madeira, did you could you, did you know could you imagine that it would turn into like the powerhouse that it is now, Business Central? I mean, was that always the goal, or <laughs> I think I think the goal, yes. I think you can ask anyone. Say yes. Did did we did we want like could we see a future where we had a true SaaS product that you could spin up? online and it will run as uh, any other Microsoft service. Uh, yes, uh, could we have foreseen like what's now six years ago ish, like where, like which bumps to go over and around. And it, it, it's just been an, an incredible journey. Oh, amazing uh, journey. It's, uh, it's, it's been super exciting and, and I've not personally worked on all the platform stuff that, that that the team has done to to make it become something that was NAV to <laughs> run as a as a world like hyperscale uh, cloud service. But I mean, it's just it's just amazing what what has been done, like transforming the airplane while while it's flying. Basically, <laughs> that's that's what it is. Um, it's it's just such a daunting engineering task. Um, yeah. Of course, there's also uh, uh, consequences of of carrying a a legacy system with us in that sense. Like you know, I, sometimes some people ask, you know, what you could have also just started from scratch with your knowledge about ERP. You could have built something from scratch uh, in a like born in the cloud way, like you had Power BI. On the other hand, like but but there's a like I think the most important reason, the single biggest reason why we didn't do that is. We had the partner community. Like, yeah. imagine having to reskill, retrain a huge, uh, and you know, just 
we can't even put into words how valuable like we 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 live from the partner community like we, mm -hmm. we we just can't do without it like you're you're our sales our our our, our implementation muscle and, and and everything right so it's just so i think i think it was the right decision um uh not that that's for me yeah and a, few, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a couple hundred thousand businesses running it that would look <laughs> for a, a path forward right absolutely to that, to that new future absolutely okay. but i think it, i think it could have been tempting to ask yourself that question at the time should we build something new right in the cloud that's more suitable but i think because it, it maybe would have been easier and like some of the things we have we have faced we maybe wouldn't have faced or maybe we would we don't know right so there was i can't remember the author of the book but there was person writing in the book say you can't design for scale you you have you will run into something as you scale that you couldn't have foreseen so like is that kind of like in in theory you could build something that could scale like forever, but in practice yeah. there just always will be right. something right. And in that sense, it made made a lot more sense to carry NAV with us. But as you say, can like for for customers and yeah. also for, also for partners. Yeah, you know, business central. Uh, we we became a partner in 1999, and and since then, NAV and, and business central is all we do. Right, our whole organization is pretty much, you know, centered around it. And uh, for for years, it's funny you say developing new product. For you know, for for years, we had to fight against our competitors uh, against this thing called Project Green. Oh yeah, which was the new ERP that Microsoft was developing that everyone was going to have to move to, you know, to create beer and uh, prospects. And uh, mm. as far as I heard, I mean, I I the, the there was really nothing ever to that, um, but maybe there was. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. now. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. No, but it's 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 one of those ghosts like that that kind of li lives forever in the sense that like we have we hear the same sometimes from the field we hear the same things now where it's all about positioning of products. Like us now, we have we have two products that that do very much the same, and, and and the difference between them has been blurred over the years, like between finance and and PC. Yeah. Uh, but you have like and and when would you choose one over the other? And that's always a risk if you have two products that are very similar in what they essentially do. So so and and, and there's there's confusion and also thought around that uh, as well, both in the community. Even even internally, Microsoft, and sometimes, um, uh, so so that. But I, yeah, I, yeah, we've competed against uh, AX and FNO over the years, and and won. Um, and yeah, uh, you're right. It it is it is tricky for people to differentiate between the two. Um, but but yeah. but I think that we hopefully we've become better at, at at telling the story about when should you choose what, like. I think back when I started, I think our messaging was still, oh, if you're below 250 users or employees, then you go for, for BC. If, if you're above, you go for uh, F&O, which obviously doesn't make sense to anyone else than maybe Microsoft in some sales motion kind of way. Because, and that's what we've sort of redefined later is, you know what, it, for you to choose the right product, it, there's of course a product fit for your business, like 
out of the box what does it do but then there's there's a solution fit like if if you are in the food industry which solution is there an isv out there is there a good partner fit and with knowledge that can back it's not about having the ip there's also the you know consultant like the like the knowledge within that industry that can back it and with all these if all these stars align then you have then you know which solution because the solution itself as long as you of course you can identify with microsoft like the strategic direction you want to choose a microsoft product a sort of one decision in itself uh but that's all which product to then go with it's a lot more about what i just said you know finding the right partner and solution to fit i think uh right Yep. Cool. All right. So now you're spending time doing uh, onboarding. So, 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 so when I guess let me start with this. So when well, when we talk about onboarding, are you're you're are you referring to the moment that someone says, "I want to I want to look for a new ERP solution or financial accounting or manufacturing right. system"? Is that is that where that starts, or is it once you get to the decision that I want to investigate Business Central. Hmm, that's a great question, uh, Ken. So, um, when we started doing some, like here in recent times, let's say within the last two three years, we 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 pulled up onboarding as a, a as a topic as an investment area again. Uh, recognizing, by the way, that back in the Madeira days. It didn't work out. You couldn't have a five minutes to sign up or five things to while, or it's the other way around. Uh, like you just couldn't do that with the product back then. Like, like the the product wasn't ripe for that, and the times weren't ripe for that. So we're thinking about that now again and say, you know, there are some customers who can who who can and will onboard by themselves. And I'll just come back to that just to answer your question. So. Um, it, it started very much with being focused on getting the customer alive to a productive state. So once they have acquired the license, what does it take for them to go live? Like, <laughs> but it expanded quickly to because we figured out, you know what? How do we even attract customers in the first place? You know, what's our marketing message? What's what do people see on the Microsoft website? How how can we help our partners? Uh, Get customers on board quickly, and I think what what we've realized is to to be honest. And I, I heard the previous episodes where you went through my LinkedIn post where I said, "What if you could <laughs> onboard on your own? What if you could automate all this?" Uh, which obviously, uh, what when I when I write it like that, it, it sounds like it, oh, this goes for everyone. But obviously, yeah. Uh, I want I want to really emphasize that that um, when we talk about onboarding, we very much recognize that on on the far extreme, uh, let's say you have a come in right from the street, swipe your credit card kind of person, like you know, small, very small company. Uh, they will say, "Hey, I'm a carpenter. I'm just like the guy next door. Surely you have a template for someone like me." I can just teach myself to use the system and set it up and you know let's default as much data as possible. I can use whatever chart of accounts you want to give me. You know, that you know, where we actually know from from evidence, like these customers exist like self-service on the rise. On the other extreme, you have, of course, 
from the companies we've been talking about where you, have, you know many 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 customizations you 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 can't you know, there's no way this complex business can get up and running without having a partner with domain knowledge and what have you uh, uh, beside them and then there's everything in between now our onboarding focus tried to attack the former first and foremost so but we also want to say you know whatever we build for onboarding like the checklist system and the welcome banner let's build it in a way where also the bit more complex uh, customers that have a partner by the side can can make use of that uh, but we don't we don't see and that's also if you if you take the checklist for example like if you start a trial from Microsoft website and you see the standard checklist in my company like the you blank company it it's an example checklist like it's not intended to make you go from zero to live uh, without a partner like because there's no way you can do that um, unless of course you have a very savvy you know business IT oriented person in your company that really understands how to go and, and you know find documentation and do stuff but we wanted to focus on you know let's give partners some tools so those partners who can template stuff uh, from their own website maybe and your configuration packages and you know have you know nine out of ten customers for this partner would be the same type they would have the same setup of data let's give them some tools to get ramped up and deliver more customers because ultimately what we want to tackle with onboarding is try to solve for or take the pressure of the you know need for resources in the in the channel that's basically why we want to do it we obviously we want the customer to become a subscribing customer today rather than in a month from now because in a cloud economy you know that 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 month is lost you can never get it back and and the same goes for our partners so whatever we can do to help partners serve more customers and provokingly we've been also then been talking about i've been talking about it in the way where, you know what if you could empty the heads of your consultants and put it into some ip into some apps that you know your assisted setups or your checklist could ask some questions ask some questions that a consultant would normally ask say hey do you want to use and maybe you don't want to ask hey do we want to use costing method fifo or lifo because that's too complex for any let's say digital assistant right now unless we bring in chat gpt <laughs> but maybe maybe it's fair to ask hey do you use uh do you do any projects if not let's leave out that part of the chart of accounts because let's not you know create those accounts in your chart of accounts because so there are some things i think can be digitalized in a sort of digital consultant kind of way and then there are things that just cannot because it's just too complex but only partners will know and i realize when i see my linkedin post i could have made it sound like you know <laughs> this can go for every type of customer but obviously not i mean and that's but i think the key point is I do think there's an opportunity for partners to maybe rethink how they deliver their value digitally versus uh, in person, like and say in person, like in quotes, like over a Teams call or whatever, but like like the billable hour, yeah. and maybe figure out if that bar could be set differently so the the billable hour is spent on things where the consultant is absolutely indisposable like you you just have to have consultant with that domain knowledge about the food industry or whatever 
that's that's the kind of thinking we'd like to, you know, uh, spawn with 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 partners. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. yeah, it does. I and it's uh, it's it's a it's chal it's a it's challenging uh, to to us. It's a cha- I, I we view it like as a challenge. Uh, if you go back, right? I think. I think that and I don't know if this is something we made up at Solution Systems or if this was the official thing, but back when it was, you know, Navision, it was the the slogan was tailored for the way you do business, right? And and that mindset that it, it's designed to be molded to fit what you mm-hmm. do because mm-hmm. you're unique and you have these unique things, and 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 that's how we've kind of operated. I, I joke with people internally. I say, Oh, our solution systems, our motto is we never do the same thing twice <laughs> because every customer that we engage with has this unique set of personalities and, and size and business processes and expectations of who we are as a Microsoft partner, what services we deliver to them. Um, so there's all these variables that, you know, and now it's like, how how can we take our best practices? Because we that those do exist. That the way that we do things and how we approach a project and an implementation and how we set up certain fields in in Business Central, how can we take that and and yeah, craft it into, uh, you know, an automation? And and I think this onboarding tool sounds like it, it's that avenue for us to begin to do that, right? When we're setting up and deploying it, I think in your office, in the office hours, Michael, you, you know, we talked like mentioned like a link where we can kind of pre pre-install some apps and, yeah, and, so and, we'll, and walk through right. some uh, assisted setup tools to deploy some, some data sets uh, within yeah. there. I think the office hours really cleared up a lot of a lot of the questions that I had. It, like Soren said, I, I was under the impression that the automation was supposed to be for every single uh, prospect that that's going to turn into a customer. But you know, after watching the office hours, I know that's not true. I know that uh, Microsoft has done the research and the self-serve customers on the rise. So I think the automation is really great for the self-serve um, customer, and I think it can be a really good tool to help. Uh, bring down some of the consulting hours for larger corporations. Personally, I, I don't think it's going to ever be able to fully automate a, a, a customized uh, uh, onboarding for, a, for a, a really large customer. But what I did like and what Ken was alluding to was that, yeah, it looked like we can start a trial on our website, you know, if we use Power Apps, Visual Studio Code, whatever it may be, and then have that person onboarded or they start a trial and then we can pre-install some apps, it looks like, that that we built. And then for the trial, that person can actually use the uh, the trial with our preloaded apps. Is that correct, Soren? Yes, it is. Exactly. And 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 what's what's key there, I think, is uh, because now your app is installed, uh, you don't have a formal relationship with the customer yet, like through CSP and what have you, but your app is installed, <clears throat> which means that you're able to and because you also profile the prospect on your website, you have the contact information. So we're able also to provide some contact, like some some touch points inside, like to the checklist or whatever, like you measure on, I wonder if they completed checklist mm-hmm. task number three. And if they haven't done that for four days, maybe that's your cue to go contact the customer and say, hey, we can see you're stuck at, you know, 
bullet, bullet three, importing data or whatever that is. Like, should can we help you? Because then, then you provide laser focused value for that specific customer. Or so the the multiple reasons why this is important is like you can increase your funnel. You can qualify your funnel better because by asking them whatever questions on your website and reacting to that inside BC, showing them relevant content to what they have chosen on your website, like coming back to the food industry example or whatever, uh, like you, you can speak their language and nurture them in a, in a better way. So hopefully their first meeting with, with the product would not be the standard Microsoft trial but be your flavored trial, so to speak, yeah. uh, which which is our like that's that's our nemesis, right? We like if you look at Business Central, as we just talked about, we try to be everything or a lot for the single no maybe not single but five ten user company and the five hundred user company. Like, how can yeah. we speak the language of whatever prospect <laughs> comes through the door, not even knowing if that prospect is by the way, the CFO or someone else in the company, like what do we show them? What what terminology do we use? Do we yeah. know if that person is interested in seeing, I wanna see how sales forecasting is looks in BC. I wanna see how, you know, uh, how do production orders, like that's, that's a very different yeah. thing. It's to, a daunting to, task. To, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, in the scope, and like you said, the scope of, of Business Central is 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 crazy, right? I mean, you've, it's core financials, warehouse management, manufacturing, job service management. I, I, I mean, right? How do you, <laughs> you know, to to know what someone's going to be interested in? We we get requests for uh, prospects to say, oh, can we can, can you set us up with a free trial? And you know, we. we you know, we will, but we will do everything we can. We, we would rather spend, if we have to, an extra hour or two on a, on a Teams meeting walking them through some stuff mm. because it's just, we know that it, it gets it's frustrating because they've never been trained, right? They've, they don't understand how certain fields work and, oh, it looks like I can't even do this. Well, no, it's over here. It's called mm. something, it's called something a little bit different here, you know, um, so, so we it leads to frustration, but I think through a through a um, through this onboarding, some of these tools that exist, it looks like we can have more control over what that trial environment looks like. Some of the data that's in there, even, and some of the apps, so that it's a uh, much more uh, complete tool and reflects what they might see once they kind of actually get in there. Even what role center is coming soon that pops up when they log in. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, speaking about th that hour that you would rather spend, which I totally get. I mean, that's, you know, you, you want to make sure that that feature that's important does not go unnoticed. And you know, because they came from QuickBooks, they're looking for, you know, feature X uh, or whatever. Like, I'm just in QuickBooks, that maybe not, not your segment, but, but, but in theory, it's that kind of thinking. So what we're hoping is now that we can give partners the control to spin up customer-centric trials in a way that, that speaks to that individual prospect based on what they have said it is important to them. Right. Uh, <clears throat> with a bit more, you know, with, with, so you can free up your, your time for the bit more daunting, uh, challenging 
prospects and and also customers. Yeah. So no, I uh, think it's a, it's a, go ahead, Michael. You have a question. Well, I was going to say I, I'm a marketing guy, so I, I have to ask this question. Uh, when the prospect were to come on our site and answer our questions, uh, you know, for their personalized trial trial or whatnot, we're obviously going to get their information. But is Microsoft also going to get this information and then use it in their marketing um, touch points, so to speak? No, no, we 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 actually made a decision because, um, like, or there's a there's some nuance, but let me just uh, um, explain something first. So we need to to make sure that 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 um, if if someone has started a trial off of your website and being profiled and 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 you know said, hey, I'm interested in seeing this and this, and you spin up a trial, you own that trial. Like you, you own it in terms of, uh, you know, what do I share to the customer? Um, in the standard trial today, we have some notifications popping up. Uh, I think after, I can't remember, day three or something like that. Hey, uh, are you looking to get in contact with, with some partners or something like that? We need to make sure that we don't confuse anyone by saying, hey, you just selected a trial from a partner website. It's actually a Microsoft trial still, but it has some partner IP on it. We we can't confuse you by throwing a message on day three saying, "Hey, do we want to find a partner?" Uh, like that kind of thing. And we may still right. have some tweaking to do there, to be honest, uh, to make sure that it's either or. It doesn't happen. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. That that being said, we do get telemetry on how many starts, how many prospects start a Microsoft trial with your from the sign up context that is yours, for example. We do get that information to see also, you know, are there partners out there who have succeeded in creating great trial experiences where they convert customers uh, who 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 would perform great in that sense. And the reason I say that is also that this capability we're talking about now, which we call the sign-up context, preloading your app for a trial, can obviously also be used for any other app source app. But it's not intended to be used for any other at a field app. Like it's not a test drive. <clears throat> That's not the intention, but it could be used as such. The intention is to use it to provide a trial and onboarding experience to convert a prospect to a paying right. business central customer. That that's the intention. But we'll have to monitor and see how how is it being used. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that clears it up for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. No, and I this is exciting. And 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 before before we get into our, I, I want to. We have a couple of other things we want to touch on here with you, uh, before we let you go. But um, I before we get any further, I I, I just want to make sure that I have I'm able to say you know as a business central partner, uh, you know our, our this is what we live and breathe every day. Um, we we are we do appreciate you like you and your team and and the, and the Microsoft's efforts um, in executing in Business Central over the last several years. Um, I mean, our growth is is you know uh, going crazy, and and you can just tell there's so much buzz with our customers when they see Business Central and new prospects. Um, so so Microsoft and in, in, in Business Central's thank goodness. For us, has done a, I mean, just fabulous job uh, executing over the last several years. So yeah, we're so happy you. to hear that. Yeah, thank you, Ken. It's, it, I mean, we're so happy to hear that because we also feel, and of course, see from 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 all numbers that things are just going going great. 
and and uh, just to be able to debunk uh, all the myths and all the you know uncertainty back from the Madeira days, like would this ever would this even fly, and you know would there yeah. be a future for like what what does Microsoft think about Business Central as a strategic product? And uh, I mean, w all we can say is just you know it's just full steam ahead, and and every metric, I mean every metric that we can see just confirms this and yeah. uh and also thanks to you and the entire partner community i mean this just just shows that that we're doing things right and yeah, of mm -hmm. course you could always argue with a specific decision or specific feature you know delaying it or when when would it come but we we do hope that 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 what we release is being valued and actually i think and that's some of the conversations that we're having. I think you had those with 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 Mike Morton when he was on your show some time ago. Is you know maybe there's even an opposite uh, uh, challenge, which is we release things so often that how can we make sure that that customers are not disturbed by feature, <laughs> overwhelmed by new stuff? Because we know from partners the feedback we get, you know, hey, Microsoft, you release stuff so often that you know how can we keep up and we can see that also my from my chair from the onboarding uh, capabilities and features like it just takes time for them to sort of take hold in the partner community like being uptaken and it just takes time it takes multiple releases to actually see that uptake it just goes to show that you have your customers to serve our customers to serve and you don't always have time to you know get into the nitty-gritty details of what, what we release and new capabilities. It just takes time. Yeah. So so thank you for the thank yeah. you for the all the hard work. Yeah. I, th I think yeah, that's well, a good problem to have, right? Too many features yeah. too too quick of a oh, time. Yeah. It's a good well, problem to have. And and some of those people <laughs> might have been the same people that were complaining that Microsoft didn't release fe new features often enough. Right. 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 So <laughs> yeah. It's a luxury problem, but I think to, to, to Mike's point he made back, made back in the show is we'd love to get to a point where we could release whenever we want and leave it up to the customers or plan for, oh, when, you yeah. know, a good way to test out this feature and, and then release it when, when, when they're ready to do so. And we have the whole feature management area that we, I think we've only sort of scratched the surface, but, but I think we, can, we, we, we definitely want to do more in that realm. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing a great job. And speaking of doing a good job, I think it's time we talk about women in dynamics. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what it is. I, I, I believe you you sit on the board of it, if, I, if I'm correct. Um, if not, correct me. <laughs> but what, what is it exactly? And maybe can people can, you know, regular people get involved? How, how does it work? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, thank you, Michael. So that's that's a super important topic that's very close to my heart. Um, I think most of us have have known and learned through our like when I look at look at you and me, we've been in this game for a very long time and 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 uh, for many years uh, there's been a overrepresentation of of men in our field of work that that goes in in IT of course uh, in and uh, and in most tech jobs and and that's not because uh, there are no women. That can do the job, uh, and but there is there is a problem with not enough women choosing this line of work. So there's a very let's say uh, how do I put it 
second, third degree, uh, long tail decisions going into, you know, how, you know, how many females are there? So for example, if, if we go to, to, to the people who recruit from Microsoft and we would say, Hey, we would like more women. They would say to us, yeah, well, that's fine. You want more women, but like few women apply, a few women, you know, put themselves mm -hmm. out there. So it starts like there's, there's, there's a very long chain of like, it starts in the right. families, it starts in education, it starts in many places. But that being said, we think there's a lot of bias still determining how people get hired. And uh, so there is something that like, we, want, we want to address this. And uh, so Women in Dynamics uh, was formed under uh, the Directions EMEA uh, umbrella, you could say. Um, uh, not last year, but I think in, it was in 20, 2021, uh, as a, let's say, group or community trying to promote, let's have more women in dynamics, like both in leadership uh, teams, but also just as uh, employees. And so let's attract more women. Let's tell the good stories of, you know, hey, what, what great career you can have in tech and especially in dynamics. And uh, we had some sessions on uh, on the directions, and uh, yeah, a few months ago, I was I was fortunate to be able to to join the board. Um, obviously, being a middle aged white guy, you could ask, hey, what what's a person like that doing in the board of <laughs> of, of women women in dynamics? But it just goes to show that you know we we like this is an important topic that needs all the advocates it it can get. Uh, uh, I, I represent another, let's say, minority in the sense I have some, uh, uh, I'm on a maybe a bit more different angle on the uh, diversity, uh, neurodiversity scale than most. Um, I, I have PTSD. Uh, so in that sense, I also represent a minority and knows what it feels like. Uh, I'm not saying I need special needs in my daily life, but I could sort of identify with the women in the sense that as a minority, Sometimes you need sort of a forum to sort of speak up and 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 and, and carry forward your um, uh, thinking. Gotcha. So yeah, so, so so that was formed. And actually, um, what's happening now is that we started as being sort of a subgroup of directions, but as of these days, like as we speak, we are form we're forming uh, our own company. Um, as a as a charity or not for profit, mm -hmm. um, and uh, primarily because we like to uh, exercise our our influence is like in as many places as we can, and and being part of directions was I wouldn't say limiting, but obviously there was a limit to how because there was also you know question of funds and what have you. So so we'd like to be able to you know participate in every conference that we can get get in contact with and, and spread the word and have some sessions and talk about, talk to leadership teams to, you know, what does it mean? You know, what can you do in your company to attract more women, to hire more women um, and that kind of thing? How can we speak to the individual to uh, apply for job in tech and uh, so, and specifically dynamics. Um, so let's see where, where it goes. Uh, yeah. 
like right now it's sort of full steam ahead and 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 already we have a you know great number of strategic partners and and sponsors uh because obviously breaking out of the directions uh umbrella we'd have to find our own money <laughs> to do stuff and that, that makes sense um yeah. and and as you know tra- and traveling and participating in conferences is not free so yeah. so um yeah Absolutely. a lot of stuff going on there but but super exciting and uh it's just a super passionate team um, uh, in the women's dynamics board. And, and to your point, Michael, can can anyone get involved? Uh, yes. And what I mean by that is like you can, like whenever we share something out of women in dynamics or uh, advocating or, um, you know, learning about how can you in your own company, just where you work, promote uh, women in dynamics, and now we're just talking women, like we could talk any minority, but but specific women. Uh, just want to say, now people who listen to this can't see this, but I'm holding up a, a, a book now that's called uh, Women in Tech, a book for guys, which, <laughs> I, high, which I highly recommend, uh, which is really good because it's sort of like what it does is sort of uh, depicts a number of stereotypes in terms of males. And I, I definitely found mine. Like all the way from like from from the top one top in the sense that you know all about advocacy, all about promoting women everywhere, actively speaking up, and all that kind of thing, all the way down to the you know uh, to the person that actively fights against it, and everything in between. Right. And what it does is it 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 sort of recognizes that you're probably not doing it on purpose. Like you're probably not fighting it because you don't like you truly don't want more women in dynamics or in tech, you probably, there's some bias going on or maybe the way you're brought up or the way the culture is in your business. What it does is it helps you take the next step to climb up that ladder. Say, hey, if you're a person X, how can you become uh, one who does a little better? And it doesn't expect you to jump from, you know, bottom of the ladder to top of the ladder. You know, it, it helps you how can you be better at, how can you get better at speaking up in your company? How can you get better at, at uh, you know, uh, promoting your colleague who's a woman or like, like there's a lot of great practical tips in this book. So that's, yeah, sure. that's great. We'll put well, a link to it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, we, we discussed, we, uh, we discussed the women in dynamics at our, uh, at our staff meeting um, a week or two ago. And, um, you know, we're, we're over 40% women here. So yeah. you you may be getting some new members soon. <laughs> uh, that's great, and that's that means you actually you actually above the average. So that's really good to hear. Good, well, that's good to know. Yeah, no, it's the, some of our. I mean, you know, it's a we're we're it's a meritocracy, so to speak. Here, you know, and some <laughs> of our biggest superstars, um, right? It's it's uh, absolutely across the board. You know, so yeah, and um, I I just wanted to re- you know kind of touch on a little bit here you know we we couldn't let you go without you know referencing your your musical talents yeah and uh we went out and saw some some videos online of, uh, yeah. of you and your band and uh i don't know if you really have good. any yeah you guys play really well together oh yeah yeah do you do you tour have you toured at all we haven't toured actually when as you probably know we played the uh at the uh, Directions in Mia con- yeah. like uh, conferences in, in, in Hamburg, we actually like 
one of the guys said afterwards, you know what, we should have done a tour t-shirt with just one entry on it, Hamburg. <laughs> that, <laughs> would, that, would, that would have been fun. No, been we, no, we haven't toured. <laughs> yeah, but but no, you're yeah, very, very talented. And But a uh, serious kind of question, you know, um, music, uh, as a kind of musician myself, I uh, just play the piano, uh, you know, not not in a band or, or anything like that. But you know, I was just curious, what, what do you feel is the, you know, what role has does music play uh, in your life as a, you know, you look at like as a software, you know, technical mm -hmm. expert, um, but then, but then there's, you know, music and, and how, what role does that play for you? Yeah, that, that's a super good question, Ken. And uh, it's always played a huge part in my life. Uh, I started when I was 13 playing the drums and I switched to the guitar about, I think, the year after. Uh, I'm I'm self-taught. I haven't had any like like unfortunately other than like back in the day there wasn't like YouTube didn't exist back in the day, right? So right. I had to learn right. learn from my 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 school comrades and what have you. Um but but I think the best way I could describe it is like people need a way we all need a way to sort of de-stress and sort of you know get away from work and and playing guitar is I like I imagine when you play the piano is like takes so much of my at, like attention that I cannot allow my brain to be anywhere else. If I do, I'll I'll just suck. Like it, it just <laughs> falls apart. But if I if I manage to then push away everything else, which sort of happens automatically once I immerse myself in in playing, then it has this kind of meditative effect. Like it just cleanses you just that you know your your brain just get cleansed with like yeah. fresh input right. and, and that, you. yeah yeah it's so 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 it has that kind of effect on you and and i think like like to, to the core of my existence i would like it this is just a hypothetical thing a stupid thing but if i was to choose tomorrow between my my career and playing the guitar i'll choose the guitar any day like that that's kind of important <laughs> it has it's kind of i had a few years where i didn't play i've had a you know a number of occasions like two or three years where i didn't play much not even at home uh, during my my life and in those times what i found out when i when i picked the guitar up again it was wow how how could i live without this for so long like it just completes me in a way that you would normally think of like a family member or a spouse could do like there's just a it's just uh, without it, yeah. I, I feel like I would just lose an arm, like that kind of feeling. It's your right? passion, yeah. It's your love. It's yeah. one of your true loves. Yeah, yeah. It's it amazing, amazingly similar, like vibe. Like it's like balance adds 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 some balance. It's almost and I I I, I joke. It's almost like I can I can feel a part of my brain engaging that otherwise isn't getting a chance throughout uh, the rest of the day. Or absolutely. You know, and I'm sure if people, if someone would would monitor your brain, they could they could see a spike in in activity in certain regions that wouldn't be that wouldn't be activated in any other way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but that's that's right. And 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 uh, yeah. So we, we were just lucky to get the chance to play to play directions. It was just a fun coincidence. I I did some home videos of playing guitar at home and I uploaded them to my Twitter account and then. I'm connected to many PC people in, in my 
in my in my Twitter, and someone would say, "Oh, it would be cool if you would play at the Directions uh, conference in Hamburg or something like that." And then uh, James, as you know, he would he wrote something and say, "Hey, you know what? You know, mm, could this be done? You know, should we explore <laughs> this?" And I would say, "Yeah, hell yeah, we're we're up for it." And, uh, <laughs> Let me just ask the guys and we'll figure something out. And uh, yeah, it turned out, and there yeah. was just for me personally, it was of course uh, a special evening because you know being there in front of my colleagues and, and yeah. the partners I know and performing with with my band was just one of those magical evenings. That <laughs> there were, I, I remember afterwards, uh, you know, totally high on you know everything. I went yeah. down and talked to people and you know just you know high fives and. All that there was a guy, I don't know who he was, but he said, you know, he just stopped me and said, you know what? I looked at you on stage and I thought, there's a guy, you know, going here to present from Microsoft. And then, you know, he's playing with his friends on stage, like enjoying himself. He's just living the life. And I said, you know, like, <laughs> I can't deny that. I can't deny it. That's just, just yeah, a perfect experience. Good, then. That's great. Uh, well, I won't bore awesome. anybody with my fifth grade recorder playing days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny, funny. But uh, yeah. all right. Well, I think that might bring us to the end. Ken, anything left to uh, to ask or talk about? Uh, just, just thank you for joining us. We appreciate, certainly appreciated hearing all of your insights, uh, yeah. background, and experience, and what you're doing today at Microsoft uh, to make Business Central, uh, you know, a great product. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye, All right. Enjoy the rest of the day. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Bye, everybody. As we end today's podcast, we want to give a big thank you to everyone who listens, shares this podcast, and leaves us reviews. You've taken a good amount of your time out of your day, and we truly appreciate it. Thanks again. And uh, don't be afraid to email us at marketing at SOL syst.com with your tips for the podcast or maybe you'd even like to be a guest during an episode.